the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearings of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogues for us. And Jesus went with him, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The Gospel of the Lord. Having, having spoken to, yeah, you may be seated. Having spoken to our single uh, youth, soon to enter confirmation, we will forego the children's sermon and proceed on to the regular one. But now you don't have a clue on what the sermon's going to be about. So. We'll do that. I don't know if we could all get back up. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, Amen. The green season is my favorite season. I'm not simply talking about spring or when things become green, but I'm talking about the green season that we have in our churches. You've probably noticed that it's been a while since we've had green. In fact, it's been a very, very long while. The last time we had green was clear, I think, in the end of January, uh, when we had a few Sundays after Epiphany. And before that, it was the second to last week in October was the last time we had green. It's been a while. It's been a very long while since we last wore green. Green is called, this season when we wear it, uh, is a season that we call ordinary time. Now that's not ordinary time as in it's kind of dull and plain. That's not what it means. Actually, coming from ordinal, which is counting, structure, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, ordinal. This is the second Sunday after Pentecost. Then we'll have the third, and then we'll have the fourth, and then we'll have the fifth. Ordinary time. You may be wondering why we had green in the middle of January, where there was a couple Sundays after Epiphany, where we also have ordinary counting time. Now, all the rest of the seasons have really explicit themes that we bring out, and for good reason. We begin every year with the theme of Advent, blue. And we see blue all the way up until Christmas, and then we see white through the 12 days of Christmas, and then we see white into Epiphany and the baptism of our Lord, and we have green for a little bit. Quickly, we go into purple for Lent. 
And then we remember throughout those times, all the way up until Easter, those themes of turning back to God. In Easter, we have white again, and then we just got done with red on Pentecost, and then again, white for Holy Trinity Sunday, and finally, we are here in green again. And while it's good to lift up all those things, I think we learn more about God and who God is through those themes that we constantly pull us into a turning back towards God. Green time, ordinary time, can be some of the best learning that I think we do. Because when there's no theme, when there's nothing else, we see God plainly. That is, without trappings or anything else. We see God simply without holiday or celebration as God. So I have a question for you as we step off into ordinary time. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? I'm actually asking you. Do you want to know God? Yes? Okay. (laughs) It's okay if you're ambivalent on the question, but (laughs) honesty is a good thing. Yes, we want to know God. Okay. Well, today's text is about knowing God. Because today's text, even if you don't know the text explicitly, even if you don't know the text of... uh, the healing of the centurion's servant explicitly, you know kind of the formula because Jesus' healings happen very often in similar fashion. Jesus is walking and he just got done teaching or doing something else and he's walking through and he hears about someone or he sees someone or in this case a group is sent to him to tell about someone and he has compassion, he has mercy and then there is an act of faith that happens both initiated by God and at the same time embodied by someone standing before Christ. And then in the midst of that faith, healing occurs. That's kind of what happens here. And you kind of know that formula. It's familiar. But this particular thing takes place in a context, just like everything else in Scripture does. Here, Jesus had just got done with his uh, Sermon on the Mount, for lack of a better term, He just got done with his Beatitudes and then a little more preaching in the earlier chapter in Luke 6. And then here at the beginning of Luke 7, he begins a string of healings. And so here he heals the centurion's servant. Next he'll go on to heal, uh, I think, the child of a mother. And uh, that child will be revived from the dead. He'll go on to heal, I think, someone who can't hear. Either way, you should read the seventh chapter of Luke for yourself. And then finally... John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, will come up to him and ask him a question. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answers that question. In light of everything that Jesus just did, Jesus answers that question. Go back and tell John what you have seen. Go back and tell John what you have seen. The blind can see, the lame can walk, the poor are given good news. And then he adds... I think in verse 22, this little nugget, which is kind of what all these stories were about. And blessed is the one who finds no offense at me. Blessed is the one who finds no offense at me. Tell me, as we read today's story, were you offended? Were you offended that someone was healed? No. Most of us weren't. This is great, right? I wish... 
more healings happen. I wish, I wish this happened more. How could this possibly be a bad thing? How could anyone be offended at what's going on? I think if we simply, simply take this text and have it happen right in front of us, we would get a sense on why someone could be offended. Today, in everyday times, when someone makes a definite claim about God, one of our peers makes a definite claim about God, God did something, God means something, God said something, and if that saying or thought is made firm enough, is made confidently enough, we become skittish or even possibly offended. I'll give you an example. Someone comes up to you and says, so-and-so is going to win the election because God wants it. Anyone offended? Okay, we have some offense. We hit the nail on the head. What about, let's take it out of the realm of politics, what about so-and-so is sick, but with faith, God will heal. I can find offense there. I can find offense there because what happens if there is not healing? Does that mean there's no faith? How about this next one? We saw a great calamity, a, a natural disaster. There was a tornado that swept through, and that was God's judgment calling us to turn. Anybody offended? A little bit? How about this one? I heard the voice of God tell me to do this. Now, there could be good things, but there could be bad things. You see, if we're so separated from it and we simply see the good outcome, it's hard to be offended, but when it's in your time, it's very easy to be offended because there at the beginning, when I said so-and-so is going to win the election, there's a point in our scripture where the Assyrians are taken over by the Persians and the Jews are allowed to go back. They were in exile. They're allowed to go back to Jerusalem and they call that king that took over, King Cyrus, a messiah. They say it very plainly. There's a few messiahs that we mark throughout scripture. And the same anointing name we give to Jesus, they called King Cyrus after he took over the Assyrians and let everybody go back. Healing. Did Jesus not tell us at one point that there, I mean, he complained directly to the disciples, how much longer must I have to be with you when they couldn't heal a person of, I believe it was demons that time, through prayer. They couldn't do it. They couldn't cast it out. And yet Jesus says, this type of demon can only be cast out through prayer. Here, and the natural disasters, how often do we hear the story of Noah? Is there not judgment in that story? Is there not natural disaster in that story? How many times did we hear about Joseph in the famine? Is there not natural disaster in that story? Is there not judgment in that story? And finally over here, while sometimes it's nice to hear your pastor talk about how he or she was called into the ministry, what about Judas? Here in our 
plain scripture, Judas goes running around chasing after Jesus the entire time of his discipleship. Wasn't he called at the same time? What did he do? If you're like me, and I think most of us are, when you hear something in your own time that says very confidently something about the voice of God, who God is, what God is doing, you become, at the very least, skeptical. Something goes off in the back of your head, and you might feel uneasy, or you might feel just kind of unsure about it, or you flat out reject it, but something happens. But this text... This text and the context that is in calls us to something not entirely different, not the opposite, but different. Blessed is the one who finds no offense at me. Two things I want to say. One, this is not a sermon to simply call you out of your skepticism. Because as much of those th- as those things have happened throughout time, there is also people who simply use the voice of God to justify their own ideas and their own faith and their own beliefs. So this is not something to call you out of your skepticism. Your skepticism is good in part. Your skepticism keeps you from following things that aren't of God. Are there not many false prophets in our day? So keep your skepticism. It's not a bad thing. On the other hand, at the beginning when I asked you, who all wants to know God? Or do you want to know God? And you all nodded your heads. That also means that something somewhere is going to have to teach you something somehow about God. Because yes, you may know about God in Scripture, and yes, you may know about God in the spiritual and religious teachings that have gone before us, but yes, God is still working. We are people of the Spirit here today. And if God is still moving, if God is still working, we have a God to come to know in relationship here in our lives. And so keep your skepticism, but you must, you must examine those things, even if you don't initially like them, that claim to be God. Because some of them are going to be God. You have to check it. Every time, you have to check it. Sometimes the process is going to go a little bit faster, but you have to check it. What is this person claiming? What happened? What's going on? And the way that you check it is by the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I've been trying to memorize these from Galatians 5 since I was in the 8th grade, and sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. But I believe the fruits of the Spirit are love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Wherever they are born, we know the Spirit to have been there. Wherever they are born, we know God to have been present. And so in everything, even if it makes you skittish, even if it makes you scared, even if it doesn't seem like God should be there, if you see the fruits of the Spirit present, you may not deny God is there. You might not agree with the reason or the cause or anything else, but you may not deny that God is there. 
It is our role and our duty and our job to be in communion with God. And while so many of us so eagerly are anxious and scared when someone claims something about God, we have to learn sometime and we have to learn somehow that God is in this world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where you see these things, you know God is there. It's our job that when we see these things, we say something confidently about God. Confidently that we see God there. The Roman centurion, they didn't call him a good Jewish person. But did you notice how the people marked him? Did you notice how the people described him? He loves us. There's the mark of the Spirit already. God was there before Jesus showed up. God was there before there was even a need. God was there in the love of a centurion who didn't have to love. That is not part of the centurion's vocation of a centurion for the centurion's people. There was love there. God was present there already. And in the midst of that love, in the midst of that work of the Spirit, long before Christ entered, there was a community willing to lift someone up to God as best they knew how. And in that faith... Yes, it's the faith of the centurion, but it's the faith that was born there amongst the community beforehand. In that faith, there was healing. And so even though they don't understand why the faith was there, even though they don't understand how the faith was there, it's not by their own accord that it happened. It's not by their own accord that there was love. They said God was there, and God was there. God chose to heal there. I see the fruits of the Spirit in our community. And I see the fruits of the Spirit in this congregation. And I see the fruits of the Spirit in other congregations as well. We do these things by the grace of God quite well at times. We also fight at times. Eh. But wherever I see the fruits of the Spirit, I know God's there. And I know without a sliver of a doubt that God is working in this congregation. And I know without a sliver of a doubt that God is working in Upper Adams and working as we work together. I see the fruit, and I cannot deny it. This week, this month, this year, and your life, I want you to look for these fruits, to look for God present, and then to cast your suspicion aside and to say confidently where you see God, to say confidently where God's at work because this is our role in this world. Our calling together is to be church. Where the gospel is purely preached, and that means where we say where God is and tell the story of where God's moving by the fruits of the Spirit. And the sacrament rightly administered where our baptisms are taken hold and we are fed by the very body and blood of Christ. God be with you and I as the fruits are born in our midst. We name them and together by the grace of God 
we can be church. Amen.